play stimulates flow state, which is also known as being in the zone, and a mindset in which students take more risks, which is ideal for learning. This was in an article I recently read that one of my colleagues wrote, and it inspired me to do this podcast called Playful Learning. I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined by my wonderful colleague and co-host from the Centre for Innovation, Tanya Debye, as well as Caroline Bergwerf and Ludwikas Pikutis. Welcome, everybody. And I'd like you to introduce yourselves individually first. But we'll start with Tanya. So she's going to be the one that uh, sets the example, I reckon. <laughs> no pressure, Tanya. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Tanya Debye. I work at the Centre for Innovation, where I'm an expert on learning communities and platforms. And... Um, I play a lot of games, role-playing games. Love them. And Carleen? My name is Carleen Bergwerf, and I'm assistant professor at Leiden University at uh, the Child and Education Studies. I'm trained as a child psychologist. I also work as a psychologist. And now I do a lot of teaching in the clinical courses for master students, bachelor students. And my research interests focus on virtual reality. Okay, and for you, Ludwigus? My name is Ludwikas. I am a student here at Leiden University. I do a Master of Psychology and uh, my specialization is Statistics and Methodology. And I do play a lot of games as well. Nice. All right. Well, uh, why don't we just uh, begin with the first question. What is playful learning to you? There's a lot of terms that come out. One is gamification. The other one is game-based learning. The other one is playful learning. Is there a difference between them? What do, you, what do you think? Carlene, would you like to take this one first? Yeah, I'm not an expert on education, but what I think is that playful learning is quite a broad term in which you acquire new knowledge, new skills in a playful way. So it adapts to your own intrinsic motivation or it is fun. And serious gaming or gaming, I think, is part of playful learning. So in gaming, you should always have some storyline or a goal or rewards or feedback and I think playful learning can, can be quite broad so in ways that you have your own curiosity or your own interest um, appeal to. Yeah gamification to me is, is a really limited form of playful learning because it focuses uh, on the rewards and on leading boards and badges you can earn so that's more of extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. And playful learning is, is, is wider indeed. Uh, simulation games come to mind where students can um, feel free to fail and experiment. And that sort of triggers their, their creativity. And it doesn't even have to be a simulation game. There are many ways where you can build uh, little puzzles. You can do an escape room and, and tri really trigger the creativity of students. I think it's a, an excellent form. Yeah. And Ludwigus, what do you think? What do I think? Well, for me, gamification and playful learning felt like the same thing. So just use games to, or a game type of environment to learn new knowledge or about certain things. So I don't really know if there's much of a difference. Okay. Well, that's a good point. Exactly. I wonder how many students do know the difference. And if it's just another one of those scenarios where people just use different names for the same thing. Yeah. I would say it's like uh, playful learning is just a part of gamification because, uh, well, my way of checking out what's what is just Googling it and I couldn't find a Wikipedia article for playful learning. So I was like, what is this? <laughs> so I just kind of assume maybe playful learning is like a smaller branch of gamification that focuses on maybe something, something that's very similar to gamification, but just slightly altered. 
Yeah, I, I would argue sort of the other way around. So playful learning is the wide banner, uh, w- uh, which contains games, but also uh, escape rooms and, and other forms of uh, creative be- creative behavior. And gamification is just a very small part of that. So um, gamification, serious games do not belong to gamification. Serious games are simulation games where you pretend to have a business together and you earn points by uh, solving a business case, for instance. Uh, or you have Moot Court, which is also a simulation game where you uh, pretend to be a lawyer in, in an actual court and, and defending a case. So those are uh, all part of playful learning uh, and gamification, just a very small part in, in my view anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that playful learning can be quite broad, uh, also including small assignments within a course or within a lecture or um, some playful way how to introduce yourself instead of this is my name and this is my background, but also other ways to get to know each other. Um, And I think it depends on on teachers on what you can introduce. uh, But I think you should always keep in mind what is the purpose of it. But I think it's important to, yeah, trigger the curiosity or creativity of students. Yeah, and the learning outcomes are important. So at Center for Innovation, we always say, you know, design with the end in mind. So what do you want out of it? And then you can fit the entire design around it. Yeah, and that's the same with uh, playful learning. You really want to to make sure that the students actually learn something. It's, uh, <laughs> but they learn by exploring new things. So it's uh, in, in an active way, uh, and also immerse themselves in in the setting. And then they come, you know, you come really into the zone. We call that the flow state. Yeah. If it happens to you, you, you can be really really intense, and 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 uh, new ideas are born. Yeah, exactly. I think that's also the best way to learn new things if you're really immersed in it. Because if you're just sitting in a lecture hall and waiting for the knowledge to come in or to be presented verbally, then you're not involved. And then it's harder to make it your own knowledge or your own skills. Yeah, it's a totally different mindset. Yeah, It's not some passive consumption of knowledge. you, You go out there and you experiment. Because it's a game, more or less, you, it's okay if you fail. You can do it again. You, you can even test strategy. How does it work when I do that? What happens when I push the red button, right? Everybody wants to push the red button. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, would you say like this flow it happens in VR or have you yeah. experienced that? Yeah. Um, so my research focuses on virtual reality, but I also applied VR in education of students. And uh, our students needed to learn how to have clinical conversations with patients. So with a, a difficult teenager who is not willing to, to engage in, in a clinical uh, conversation. And then students had found it difficult to, to learn on how to react to that. But if you put on a VR headset and uh, you are really immersed in the, in the situation, then you're, yeah... It feels real and and, and students feel like they acquired new skills, actually. I I think that fun element and then really getting into the flow, I think that's irrelevant which kind of media you use. But I think that it depends depends on your personality or on your capabilities. So that's also what I see when I work as a child psychologist, that some children find it quite hard to to mentalize or to be involved in, in a book or... Uh, to rethink of what happened yesterday 
uh, whereas others can be really drowned in a book and you cannot call them and, and they do not see or hear anything except when you say uh, who wants candy but uh, <laughs> yeah so i think it really depends on, on on the person so i think that's also something important to keep in mind for us as teachers that we try out various media so for some people or for some students role play can be quite challenging or realistic whereas for others they actually need to be in the VR headset just to uh, have no distractions and, and be really immersed in it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now moving on to the second question, which is personal. When did you start becoming interested in playful learning? And isn't it usually applied in primary schools rather than higher education? Who wants to take this one? I think playing is something for adults, not necessarily just for children. Uh, so we tend to think that, oh, it's playing is for kids, uh, and then we focus it on primary education. But I think it's very suitable to teach adults, um, especially because of uh, its creativeness, applying theory to practice and, and being able to fail uh, while doing so. It creates a very safe environment to fail. And I think that's very suitable for, for higher education, actually. It's not, it's not something that doesn't belong into uh, the whole university atmosphere. Uh, for me personally... I became involved with gaming just as a student while I was I was studying history. And I've always used it as a hobby, but when I came to work at the Center for Innovation, I immediately saw uh, what the applications could be in, in everything that we're designing. Uh, and of course, we have all kinds of... We have media people at Center for Innovation. We have instructional designers, some of whom have done uh, digital media uh, as, uh, as their background. So, yeah we really came together and, and discovered also that it was being used all over the university already. So moot court is, is not a new principle. And you have um, uh, crisis security management uses a simulation game where they basically let students react to a uh, disaster scenario. So that could be uh, a terrorist attack on Schiphol or it could be uh, a laboratory that explodes. But then uh, they learn how to react to that as professionals. You are now the mayor. What would the mayor do? And, and that's incredibly good for skill building. So there, there are many applications already in higher education. It's, it's just that as a field, we're now sort of starting to formulate it better and find new applications. But uh, already it's, there are many best practices. Yeah. So, but you would say that you were older when you started thinking about the yeah. concept of playful learning, not, I, not I, at a younger age. I, as a student, I, I started role-playing and, um, yeah, I was a good deal older <laughs> than a student when I when I started the Center for Education. And I suddenly saw, hey, you know, my hobby, I can actually apply it yeah. at work. And for you, Caroline, did you have a, hey, learning can be playful? <laughs> yeah, well, it was uh, when I first uh, was uh, teaching um, conversation skills in, uh, in bachelor students. Then, yeah, the, the whole course uh, involves teaching new skills. And then I thought, yeah, you need some way to, uh, to engage the students and to make it interactive. And what we had then was that students could watch videos of other psychologists talking to children or that they could do a role play. But then the others needed to play a, a four-year-old child. And then I saw it was quite hard for the students to actually learn the new skills on how to uh, structure a conversation or how to deal with rebellion or uh, aggression. And then I thought, yeah, we need to f find other ways. And then 
I thought, oh, why won't we just use the methods we used when we were younger just to practice it yourself? So, and I think it was quite new to me because I thought, yeah, when we're in um, a university, it's quite academic and, and we need to give the students new knowledge. But I actually found out that the students should be engaged in it themselves. And it's also something I experienced uh, quite recently when I was following a course myself. And then it was only three hours of listening to a teacher giving information. And I was so bored. And then I thought, <laughs> yeah, also for adults or uh, when acquiring new knowledge, it's important to, to find some playful ways to keep people interested and engaged. Yeah, maybe there's a shift as well in attention in general uh, of people. I mean, if you think about how much we used to be able to concentrate and sit down and read or listen versus now, I mean, if if an email comes past or whatever and it's more than two pages long, then I'm sorry, I just don't have the time for it. Maybe it's the time, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but... I think it's the way we're getting information nowadays. It's like you just read, for instance, a newspaper, you just read the title or a lot of online, a lot of videos have become short to the point, yep. quick, fast material. You can just, just suck it up and then you forget it in an hour. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it is a bit of a shift of how we work as people. And maybe playful learning is, is the way now, but again, we don't know. Maybe that uh, might be also just a five-year thing and then you have to figure out a new way. <laughs> you know, I like the, the variation of it and um, and the way that it provides focus because when you're in the zone you're, you're, and you're immersed, you're totally um, dealing only with that issue and forgetting the, the world around you, basically. Yeah. So I think it really helps provide focus, which is what we need with all the persuasive design of our telephones and our laptops, etc., and all the software like Facebook, uh, pushing notifications, Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of distractions out there. And if, if, if you're in the zone, you, you're focused. Yeah. I believe that uh, in order to learn new things, you need to, to make it yeah, part of yourself. So have your own ideas on it. So the r- reflection, I think, is a major part uh, of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So... Thinking of an example of either a playful learning experience you had or created yourself, what was the most memorable? Did you have a moment where you're like, wow, this is, I'm learning something by playing? Oh, this was the question that I was a bit like afraid of. Um, <laughs> for me, it's a, bit, it's a bit weird because I never looked at it as playful learning. In university, I, was try- I had to study for exams as all students have to do that. Um, (laughs) But I realized I just can't. I really don't want to read this book. I really don't want to do this. And I thought, okay, let's let's change our approach here. So I decided to make it kind of like a game. And in a game, there are many different, uh, I guess, rewards that you get when you play a game that make you feel better about yourself or stuff like that. And I thought, okay, what if I, if I read a chapter I gain some imaginary points and then if I get enough points I level up or something so I made made it kind of like a game uh it didn't work because <laughs> after a while I was like okay what 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 are these points what am I doing here but I had a question like why am I doing this why do I have to make a game for myself to learn something uh, yesterday I watched a TED talk about playful learning and this person she was talking about she was talking about the benefits of playful learning 
And she said, she named a bunch of benefits and the last benefit was it's fun. And I thought, wait, so school is not supposed to be fun. It's just that's set in stone. Let's make it fun by using playful learning. I, it really made me uh, doubt the education system as a student would do because instead of studying for an exam you can doubt the education system which makes you feel better because then if you fail an exam you can blame it on the education system. <laughs> okay i'm talking about complete nonsense here no um, i think you have yeah. a good point because you <laughs> you say it should be fun but i think that's a, quite a term for the intrinsic motivation and if you look at the intrinsic motivation from the self-determination theory it should have some level of capability. I think it should be the same with uh, education. So that you have the feeling that you become more knowledgeable or have more skills. And also uh, other aspects of the self-determination theory are autonomy. So that you have your own choice in education. There, there is often no choice because you have just needs to read this book or just yeah. you need to sit down and listen to the teacher. Especially for the Western uh, society, it's hard that you, it's my choice. I want to decide or I want to have influence on things. And I think we should increase that as teachers, that we give students choices on how to learn things. Going back to the question, from the <coughs> playful learning experience that you either had or created, is there one that was really memorable to you, Carleen? Yeah, I thought of one uh, when I was studying psychology, I needed to apply behavioral therapy to two toddlers. And uh, the whole course was teaching me about behavioral therapy or conditioning or how the human brain and behavior works. And that was quite abstract. But then when I needed to teach toddlers how to play with others or how to put on your jacket and, and uh, tie up your zipper, uh, and then I need to reflect on it. And then I actually found out what is actually behavior training and how does it work uh, if you give reward or how can you teach the children? And then the way to experience it myself, that was so helpful. And then the theory, um, yeah, was more clear to me. So yeah. that's something I really liked. So you felt like when you did the, when you actually worked with the toddlers, you gain more knowledge instead of when you yeah. did it in theory, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And for you, Tanya, did you have any of those? Well, um, I was thinking about when I was uh, part of uh, the emergency crew, so BHV. Every big company, including the university, has groups in every building that are in charge of rescuing people if there's a fire or dealing with uh, emergencies. And they train their people with scenarios uh, at least once a year and preferably more often. And the purpose of that is to, to make it really um, smooth when there's an actual emergency so that, so that you almost uh, react uh, on, on muscle memory. You don't have much time to think, you just do. That's really a really helpful way of training a very diverse group because that's everything from the concierge to you know a fellow academic uh, that has um, decided to become part of the emergency crew. And they're all trained in this way and it's very helpful. And there were a couple of real emergencies. And then it was very helpful for me to have gone through this training because I immediately knew when to call 911, when to uh, run up the building to check. Uh, 911, you say? Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> American expression. Yeah. Watch too much American TV. This is the problem. <laughs> 
but um you know we had a, an, uh, a fire alert in a building and uh, I d- I've never gone up the stairs so fast <laughs> 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 it turned out it was a failure of the system and there was not a real fire but oh, okay. <laughs> so you know it has a good ending this story <laughs> so yeah. we well, when we you did the practicals did it feel like an actual real uh, fire was it in the same building? It was in the same, same building and, and there were people helping with the scenario. So there were fake victims that you had oh. to find. And, okay. and, and there, there are different departments that also help. The fire department, for instance, help, sometimes helps with these exercises to make sure that every building in Leiden or in The Hague has uh, experienced uh, uh, emergency crews. So that's basically uh, you know how it's organized in the Netherlands. But it's... Um, it, it's very helpful that there are very realistic scenarios and that you've dealt with them before so that uh, in the moment of crisis, you don't have to think. You just, you know what to do and you go for it. And was it the uh, same for all the whole crew? Because, well, we learned that you have capability to imagine that you're actually Some in of the, the academics struggled because they want to... Uh, discuss instead of do so they want to discuss what the best scenario was going forward and I was like hello our patient is dying (laughs) Uh, so when there was a real emergency that that became an issue so uh, it's actually the MBO trained people that were much faster going into the action uh, than than the academics so thinking again of the experience of playful learning have you ever experienced a bad one that's a nice question. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean that everything uh, is always <laughs> going to have a good ending, right? <laughs> but you don't have to have one. But maybe there's something that comes to mind where you're like, mm, this did not work out. No, playful learning is the best thing. Is the only, only, has only good, way. good consequences. <laughs> I, I, I experienced an escape room or two that were somewhat boring. Um, there was a commercial escape room uh, that had historical mistakes in it. And I was playing it together with a history professor and both of us were going, this is not true. I want to speak to the manager, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, so that, that broke my immersiveness because I was detecting. They were, to- <laughs> they were saying that Scheveningen was always part of the Hague. And I'm like, look, I was born in Scheveningen. It was never always part of the Hague. This is just maybe that was Maybe that was the way to teach you, actually, because you yeah. remember that uh, part very well, because yeah. it was incorrect. <laughs> no, it was a, a commercial game, and it, it was it was just wrong. <laughs> but so we spent an hour uh, talking to the manager, and then we decided uh, to have a round of beers and forget about the rest <laughs> of the game. So that was a really bad experience. If, if you're a designer, you, you can be sort of Put outside the experience by see- seeing the flaws in in, uh, in the design, and you're like, uh, you know, yeah. that, that <laughs> hypercritical is that a word? So that is sometimes a hindrance uh, that you can be really, uh, you know, too much about it. Yeah. And for any of you two, did you have a bad experience that you can think of? Well, it was not a bad experience, but when I was doing a bachelor and uh, I had to play a serious game, but there were some technical issues, and that was really. Yeah, putting me off. And then, yeah, the goal was that it, to make it more motivating. And then you said, well, the, the computer crashed. And then I thought, okay, leave it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. And I think also the tolerance for imperfections can be quite low. Uh, just like you said, if you're hypercritical or, uh, yeah, if someone tries to make something more fun, then it should be fun and it should be easy and, and accessible to everyone. So... That's a good point, the easy part, because I myself have 
developed a few escape rooms and I have a tendency to make it really complicated because I think it's too easy in my mind. And um, then you suffer the risk of actually losing the audience because it's just too complicated. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting point because yeah, coming back to the TED talk, the person she was mentioning complete opposite. It needs to be challenging because if it's challenging, then it's fun. We're excited to solve it. We want to figure out, you know, we spent enough time. But if it's too easy, we feel like I I didn't do anything here. There was no point in me being here because it was just so simple. But it needs to be scaffolding. So, uh, you know, leveling up slowly where you learn learn a skill. So if you start at, at the highest level, oh, then, yeah. you know, then it's an unsolvable task. And then <laughs> yeah. it's just frustrating. You know, I don't I don't have the skills to do this. What I think can the, I do with it? I think the trick is also to figure out who your audience is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always a really hard one because if you're designing something for an audience you don't know then it could go any which way yeah yeah that's that's very important to yeah. take in yeah and i and think I guess... it's quite individual like yeah. uh, everyone has his own capability level so if it's too easy then you're bored and you're not doing it and you're not challenged to learn but if it's too hard you're also uh put off but if you make it a bit harder then then you're just outside your zone of uh uh, comfortableness is the zone of proximal development is something you can learn with a little bit of help so then that little bit of help should be available yeah so that you feel that you can learn okay well this kind of brings me to the important things you should consider when you you know create a playful learning either game or environment what what to you are best practices or important elements to keep in mind well, I think that's an important thing that it has a, a good level of capability or that you're able to do it for everyone. Also that you have some backup plan. So for instance, when we use a VR and we f- see that some students find it too scary of, or they feel nauseous, you need to have some backup plan so that they can still practice it only using a different method. I think also it's uh, important to be clear about the goal. And also to have a goal. So we're not just playing just because we want to entertain you. We're not daycare, but we want to teach students something. So for instance, also when you want to give them a test uh, just at the beginning of the course, then you should mention it's okay to fail or it is important that you make this test so that you know what you don't know yet so that you can have a more targeted approach in, in studying. And so I think you should communicate about your goals. I think these are a, a couple of important uh, things. Yes. Yeah, the why is very important also in yeah. how you communicate. That really engages people. Uh, yeah. And then they will understand the how, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I agree with those steps. And I also see um, it's very important that they are able to explore so that they can explore different strategies uh, so that they have a bit of autonomy. Um, I think those are important uh, design uh, elements. Yeah, and I would also add, I think it's it can be very important to do it as a group. Yeah, you would learn extra skills also, you collaborating, collaborating. And leadership. Yeah. yeah, Or sometimes you have just an element of competition. Oh, just, yeah. uh, now a lot of people use the app uh, Ommetje. Uh, that is an app that uh, stimulates people to make a walk of 10, uh, 20 minutes uh, each day. And oh. then there's the ranking and then, well, I see it in my own family. Many people are just walking because then they say, yeah, I'm, I'm going up in the ranks. Or then my brother can see that I got 10 points or a medal. And I think 
that stimulates people to do stuff yeah, that they yeah. even uh, we actually played it at the office uh, oh, really? in, uh, about a year ago i think Monica. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we played it at the office but then the funny thing happened that there were a couple of sort of people taking the leaderboard and they were you know you they could no longer be uh, beaten and then oh. people lost interest so when the competition was really done yeah. um and and then the field had spread itself then people lost interest. So it went well for about a month and then it sort of leveled off. And uh, also because you can no longer see your own impact to a group. I think a, a month is pretty good though. Like I would expect it to last a, a week at most. I feel like if I did it with my classmates, it would be a week. You're and talking somebody's... about some pretty fanatic people here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you could always reset the ranking. I think that can be really helpful to say, okay, in a uh, competitive multiplayer games that's always the thing they have a ranking system and after a certain time they reset the ranking I system i think that's a great system yeah yeah really so do. then <clears throat> then you can try again and try again and try again because sometimes yeah if you see that okay i have to now walk 100 kilometers to reach the second place and not even the first and then the first one is another 100 kilometers <laughs> you're gonna be like no 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 i'm not i'm done here yeah, yeah exactly. it's the same thing yeah. of the capability then you know i'm not capable to ever uh come up to the, the second or first place so yeah yeah i think that theory of uh, self-determination applies to <laughs> many aspects of yeah. playful learning yeah i agree and it's really interesting to see um what, what really motivates uh, people and, yeah. and beating people close to you, not just because they're in the office together, but yeah. also close in the ranking is engaging, whereas something that is out of your reach mm -hmm. is, uh, yeah, you sign off. So question four is when you're designing playful learning or a game in playful learning, and since Leiden University is quite an international university, do you consider cultures, different cultures? Because, I mean, you know, sense of humor, for instance, doesn't apply to everybody. How, how does one then go about designing a playful learning environment or experience, taking all those different cultures into that design? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to consider because, uh, for instance, if you want to stimulate creativity or developing your own thoughts or uh, thinking of different approaches... Yeah, some cultures, it's not thought or not uh, respectful to have different uh, ideas. So I think it's really important to be aware of the of the potential differences. Very Western being yeah. creative. Yeah. The way that we just talked about it for the last hour. Yeah. 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 And yeah, maybe not even only uh, restricted to different cultures, but also different personalities. Uh, if you do some aspect of playful learning within a course, you always need to have a safe environment that uh, students feel comfortable. But I think, yeah, that's main priori priority for all teaching, but uh, it's a prerequisite for uh, applying novel strategies or playful aspects. Yeah, and it, it, there are different player types, right? So it, there's a, a famous um, quadrant, which says that you, you have the people that are real competitors they they really want to win the game then you have people that are more like socializers they're in it for the social context and the conversation you have people that like to create stuff um and and they may not be big talkers but they create wonderful things that contribute to the entire game environment and then you have the explorers that want to see every bit of the world yeah. find all the easter eggs you know and and those are different types and you can translate that also to a learning environment this is the, the gaming uh 
the biology of forgot his name sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's an important but yeah, you you can tweak you can tweak that to uh, you know to your learners and we've actually in in MOOC development looked at um are there enough engagement points for each of the learners based on their competitiveness or their creativeness or um the fact that they want to socialize so that's why you have discussion forums in massive open online courses so that people can learn together and be social and then you have a lot of material for the explorers that want to go through everything. So um, you can tweak it to um, to a learning environment. Yeah. And I quite like the idea of the community platform that is attached to it. So even if you've created a playful environment, the conversations that come out of it afterwards are probably more valuable and you'll probably learn more from them than in the actual gaming environment. Yeah, the reflection again is yeah. very important. And, yeah. and that's why it's... Um, it's interesting to have either a chat or a discussion forum or some way to communicate with each other. It can it can take many different forms, but then it's not just for in-character actions, but also afterwards to reflect together with, you know, what just happened? You know, this was a cool session or this was not a cool session. I was totally bored. Game Master, do better, you know? So, yeah. But it's, the reflection is uh, important. Right. Here's my favorite part of the show, which is the future scenario. Say you have been hired to create a course at a newly funded, very high-tech and forward-thinking university that wants to incorporate playful learning in every course that they offer. What would be your first steps? What tools, games would you consider using? And what would your approach be to setting this up? Tanya. Um, well, that would not be an easy task. First of all, I would make sure that there is technology, digital technology available uh, so that people can play it asynchronously um, and they and a good uh, communication software. So they should have chat. They should have good discussion forums that do not look like Teams. Um, and um, yeah, I would invest in that uh, and convince my university to invest in that. And I know from personal experience that can be... Um, a trial, but um, after that, I would really start to think about what is it, wh what I want to teach, you know, what outcomes do I want to reach, and what is suited for that. So, in some cases, you might go for a simulation. In other cases, you might just build an escape room or you build something else entirely. I don't think if you implement playful learning in an entire university, you're going to come up with a cookie cutter system or whatever. You need to have some tools obviously, but then it will look, still look very diversified and different, just like the university looks very diversified and different right now. So I think it will have all kinds of different <coughs> ways of, uh, of playful learning. And Carlene, how would this university look like for you? <laughs> yeah, I hope that it's not quite futuristic and, and abstract, but quite easy to implement in our own university, because uh, with some colleagues, we're trying to uh, make a new program on how to teach students their uh, reflective skills. Um, because now often students only learn how to write a reflection report, which can be perceived as quite boring or as a more verbal task. And I think it's very interesting to find out how can we teach them throughout the whole bachelor, but using the playful elements. And I think I'm quite inspired by all the things that were said today that we need to adapt to different learning styles or to different needs, but 
yeah, that there are so many options. So it's for me not the goal to implement digital aspects, but I think we it can help to have a simulation game so that you learn to reflect on yourself or that you have some task that is quite uh, simulating creativity on who are you and, and who are you as a psychologist or as a professional or... Yeah, so I hope that we can implement it quite soon. And um, as a student voice, thinking about applying to this future university, what would be the most important criteria for you to decide to study there based on what the two of them just said? Uh, that's a very tough question because it's I, I heard a lot about the type of education, but I didn't really hear much about what are the main uh, goals in these type of universities. What is the main thing that you're trying to achieve? And I think that's very important to, uh, for me as a student to know what should I expect. I might expect uh, certain types of different learning, but if it's still, you know, I go into... A, a virtual reality and I see a lecturer just talking to, just presenting a lecture, it's still going to be just as boring as any other uh, thing. So um, it's very tough to say for me. And of course, the, the two universities that uh, you both just mentioned, they sound very similar to me. Um, but I think I would really prefer the digitalized version. I would look for some things that are out of the ordinary. Because then it tells me that maybe this person is trying, the, the, the people in this university are trying to create something new, something different, something they are, have probably realized certain problems in our current education and trying to change it. Instead of just going with the same, 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 you know, this university will have lectures from all around the world. This university, we also have lectures all around the world. And it's the same for everybody. Um, so I, I think my main point is to look for something that's out of the ordinary because it's still very difficult to judge a university by by what they have, what they write. I would really need to be in it and experience it. Maybe a trial lesson would be very interesting to have a sort of like, to experience it myself. But yeah, I think it's it's just the way I am personally. Yeah, but how can you know that universities <clears throat> are doing things differently? I think one way is what you said is just to have some trial lesson. I think it's also good to look at the teaching stuff in the way... How, what their ideas are on education. So, for instance, in the uh, past few years, a couple of teachers, including myself, got a grant from Comenius, and it was uh, for teaching uh, innovation. And I think that's also a sign that, that teachers or lecturers are thinking of how can we adapt our modern education and also make it new. And then it's not necessarily using digital media. From In my situation, it was with using VR, but... I think there are also examples of teachers who are using non-digital innovative uh, approaches just to yeah, make it more appealing to students to, to learn. Yeah, let me just briefly mention the Leiden Teachers Academy, which is yeah. uh, also you know, full of people that are taking an innovative uh, approach to, to education. So the university that, that invests in education has uh, initiatives like in, indeed uh, Comenius, uh, which is from, uh, I think it's from SURF or no, some, uh, uh, from... NWO. NWO, right. Yeah. Some, something NWO. at the national level anyway. And um, a local initiative to promote innovation in education uh, is a good sign that uh, you're working with a, an open and creative university. Yeah. So, so the one thing that none of you said, which is interesting is would you 
have every single lesson in a playful learning way would you would you actually imagine a university where every single lesson that you get there every course is in done in a playful way is that yes, maybe something that could be sure. like i think could it backfire i think at least one element of, of of playful learning because the the situation of sitting for two hours or three hours sitting and listening to a lecture i think that's it's a history because now we know it's not adapting to students' needs. So there should be at least one element to trigger students' attention or motivation or curiosity. And then it shouldn't be too much of a hassle um, if there are some nice ideas that all teachers could uh, yeah. apply. And and, and um, that, that's all about active learning and, and being in the zone and um, you know having this focus. Um, which doesn't immediately make it gamified. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't all have to be uh, leaderboards, etc. So that's not that's not what playful learning is about. <laughs> it's more about the sort of the broader issues. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mean it like uh, that. There's a board, game board, and scoring necessarily. But I'm just wondering, you know, if you had a university and everything is gamified in a in a you know slight way or something like that would that novelty sort of run out and then would people maybe miss but it's just yeah, <laughs> the old way ways. of thinking yeah um and and there will always be people that sort of prefer the old ways and i mean they and like to, to to be the uh the, the performer in front of a crowd uh, etc so exactly. uh, it's and you wouldn't apply to this university you know? then if it's doesn't fit you either i suppose but Does also that? you need to uh keep innovating because well, when you find out, oh, Mentimeter is very cool and students are active and then you do it for five lectures and then students are bored and they yeah. thought, come on, we did it uh, all the time. All right, I'll get my phone. So then you need to find something else. So I think that is one of the downsides that is ask of the teachers to well, to, to prepare something uh, to, to engage students, but also to... Yeah, improve or... Uh, and change their approach. So yeah. um, it, it means that you can't teach for 10 years the same from the same lecture notes. It means that each year you have to sort of update your material yeah. and think about uh, the outcomes uh, and how you're going to reach them. And is the target audience still the same? And if the target audience is changing, then your approach should change with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's also for some teachers that it's quite hard, but also, well, the, the work work pressure is often quite high in academia. So that's, uh, of course, one thing to, to keep in mind. Uh, and, and, and that's an important point. I think this um, fantasy university that has only playful learning also has staff that is not overworked, exactly, uh, yeah. that gets enough time to design their course every year uh, again and again. Yeah. Training uh, enough? Uh, enough training, enough, you know, professional support. Yeah. Um, it has uh, a fantastic team of technologists that uh, uh, are very important to keep everything up in the air. Yeah. Um, so that, that asks a lot of investment in this university. I actually Not just of, of, of the platform, but, but of all the elements around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to... When, when you asked the question, I thought the first thing that came into my mind was actually to have no teacher at all. The group, they have, of course, there's a, there is a teacher that mm -hmm. says, okay, you guys are going to work on this. This is your assignment or something like that. And the students just work themselves as a group. So in this way, we can maybe lower the workload of the teacher during class or maybe they can be a bit more relaxed. 
focused on maybe preparing the ne next class and just kind of overlook the students. But I thought maybe it would be interesting to have the students work it out themselves. Yeah, I think that's an interesting approach. And I think that's also <coughs> used in, in some university. Uh, it's a problem-directed education. Is Something that, like the, that yeah. the English term? I think it is a quite interesting approach, um, but also that requires the training of the teachers how to do that. And it also means that the university has to uh, reward teachers in a different way. So yeah. it's all about, you know, not just awarding the, the best researcher, but also making sure that uh, teaching is a viable career uh, where you can score uh, points. Yeah. So it, it really asks a lot of... Um, a change in, in, in approach and a, a change in, uh, in investment. I think that's why this question is very futuristic-like, because we're thinking about playful learning while applying ideas that were from a very long time ago. Exactly. And we're thinking these don't match. Yes. And also just the, staff, the staff that will be at that university need to learn the futuristic way of teaching now mm -hmm. so that they can accommodate the students of that future yeah and i think the pandemic was in that sense quite interesting that in the past two years uh, we as teachers needed to be flexible and to adapt to new strategies and to get a lot of support from uh, technical uh, staff and i think it, uh, that is a promising part uh, i saw a lot of beautiful new initiatives and also uh, yeah qualities of teachers that they they showed or had it was nice, but yeah, the downside is it costs a lot and, and not everyone is uh, open to that or has yeah. capabilities for that. Yeah. If we just completely get rid of our idea of what a student is and think up at the ideal student that we would like to have, and it's not a type of student that reads all the books or listens to the lectures, raises their hand, but maybe we should get rid of all of that and look focus on a different way. A student that is is not stressed, they're having fun, and maybe that way we can then develop a new type of learning, a new type of university that focuses on, on that type of student. But maybe this type of student will be perfect for playful learning environments. So perhaps now you feel inspired to look into playful learning if you haven't already, or maybe you at least have a better understanding of what playful learning is and how it can be used. Either way, I want to thank my guest speakers for their input and, of course, you, the listeners, for joining. If you have any questions or comments you would like to forward to me or the guest speakers today, or if you would like to join me on the next What If Education podcast, please send us an email and let's make it happen.